Welcome to Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. DenverSports.com. Denver Sports tonight on this Friday night in the Mile High City. He's Jake Shapiro. I'm Will Peterson. We will roll with you for the next hour. And, of course, as we tease at the end of the drive, if you were tuned in then, our guy D-Mac going to stick around because he and Jake have some unfinished CU business. That's right. I forgot what it was. <laughs> what is it? You asked me I why. I, I know. Yeah. You asked me why I thought the Colorado Buffaloes oh, were going to lose Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of all the people predicting the games, he actually predicted the biggest uh, whooping. He's the only one who doesn't have them covering. 20 and a half is a lot of points. Yep, that's right. Why? Do you know how many players on Colorado's roster are over 300 pounds? <laughs> I do not. Four. Do you know how many players on TCU's roster are over 300 pounds? More than four. 16, including a guy who weighs 455 pounds. Oh, that guy. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, they, yeah. they got that guy, but the point is... Trenches. They're going to get killed in the trenches. Okay, that's interesting. That's Those are numbers. Good job, Jake. That's, that's a little bit of a sobering fact you just delivered, yes. Okay, so why? Oh, that is interesting. So we're just going to get beat up um, on the line, both sides. Yeah, and that's going to be the Buffs' problems all year, guys. Like, and that's the problem with Brown not being eligible, and you know that's a big loss. There. And he would have been helpful. He was an FCS All American. It wouldn't. It, it was a big loss for them, particularly because they have no depth anywhere, mm-hmm. and that is a piece. But they really need help on the lines, and that's going to take years to develop. And and you guys talked about Duggan leaving and, and that having an impact on this game. You guys might forget this, but Duggan wasn't their starting quarterback at the start of the year. Oh, I mean, I know nothing about TCU. It it was Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris came into Boulder and was their starting quarterback. He gets hurt in that game. He comes back and plays a little bit in an Iowa State game when Duggan was was not doing well. He was okay. He actually played a little bit in the national championship game at the very end. But this is like 60 to three. Right. Yeah. But this is the guy who beat Duggan out for that same job last year. And he's the quarterback tomorrow. Yes. And he's the one they faced in Boulder last year. That's kind of a weird twist because Max Duggan, of course, lit the college college football world on fire, Mm -hmm. um, leading TCU all the way to a national title game, beating Michigan in the college football playoff. So, uh, yeah, they're uh, bigger than them, and the kid who was the quarterback last year is still the quarterback this year. That was better than the Heisman candidate. But he got Wally pipped. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so... So Jake just bringing us down to earth here. uh, And I appreciate that. I get it. You know, listen, we know so little about the team and how things are going to go. If you know so little, you can, I guess, make a choice to be positive and upbeat about it and, and hopeful, or you can just sort of, woe is me, it all the way to the church. You know, so... I guess it depends on where you want to go. Well, and Dion was a flashy player, right? Obviously, prime, you know, some of the most famous plays in, in NFL history. I can picture Dion pick sixes, that kind of stuff. He recruited the flashy positions. We know that, you know? But he, yeah. he may not have recruited the hogs he needed in the middle. Well, if you don't get a pass rush, you're in trouble. If you can't stop the run, which is more typical probably of anything, things are a little bit different in college football with the hash marks and da 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 so if you can't stop the run and you just get pushed around and you can't run the ball and you're just sitting back there hucking it up, you're going to turn it over, you're going to give up huge yards on the ground. You're suggesting that TC runs for probably about 300 yards. Yeah, they're going to be able to have their way with the buffs on the ground. And that's the thing. It's like you talk about you don't know enough about this team. You can choose to be positive. 
I am so excited for tomorrow's game. I'm so excited for Colorado uh, Buffaloes to be in the conversation, for us to talk about it the way we are. I just know enough about this team where I can actually break a little bit of it down, X's and O's wise, and I'm not going to be upset if the Buffaloes lose by, you know, 24 points tomorrow. And we're like, okay, there could be some good things and some bad things. They need to beat Nebraska. They need to beat Colorado State at home. And guess what? If they do those two things, they'll have double the amount of wins as they did last year. Yeah, so, but, but I got to stop you real quick. They lose by 24 tomorrow. Casuals are jumping. I, I promise you casuals are jumping. There's a lot of people on this bandwagon. No one wants to watch a 24-point loss and say, you know what? I'm so excited to do that again next week. The casuals will be right back next year when they hope to be in the college football playoff conversation. I know. I'm just casuals, saying that would be Casuals will hang in there just to pinch because of Nebraska, I think. Mm, not if they get crushed tomorrow. Dude, the tickets are going for more than the finals tickets went for. Yeah, I, I think Nebraska... Right, that's because a good fan base. I'm talking about casuals, not the people who are willing but to I, pay 500 bucks for a ticket. But I think that's the casuals boosting that up. Like, it's not just anybody going up to Boulder to, to pay $400 to go to the Folsom Field to watch them play Nebraska. Listen, the Broncos are exciting because they just start and it's the Raiders that, you know, okay, fine. But the first three weeks for CU, and just in terms of interest, could probably not be better. You, you cannot start better and be on the road with what they're doing tomorrow. You cannot. It's unimaginable that they're even in this position at all. So you start there. Nebraska for us here in Colorado, I mean, like Jake's saying, people are hanging in there, and there'll be certainly interest with CUCSU, and I think it's so much better that it's back on campus than in Powerfield. So much better. It was just so sanitary. No one wanted it in Powerfield. By the end of that little run, they weren't even selling out in Power Field. Selling out? Far from it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a long way from it. But there was a time. There was a time. But that's Bradley Van Pelt bonking footballs off guys' helmets and, you know, calling into the fan about take that and Jeremy Bloom taking touchdowns back on kickoffs. That's when you had 80,000 people in there. Those days are just, I mean, my goodness, fellas. That's such a long time ago. Yeah. By the way, our guy Marcello Romano points out to me, he said, what was the Broncos' average weight on their back-to-back Super Bowl teams? That line was notoriously small. They were. For for NFL standards. So I'm sure it looks ridiculously small by the standards of today as yes, well. Yes, but I, I guess Cello's sort of pointing out here that 300-pounders don't necessarily mean you're better. They, they, I didn't realize Prime was back in a DeLorean to go back in time. <laughs> I, I, I thought we were playing the game tomorrow, not in 1985. Well, 1998 was the Super Bowl. All right. Yes. I was I was really going back in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think that, that, you know, this team is better than last year's team, obviously. It has yeah. to be. And the bus, the bus hung with TCU for three quarters last year. They did. So that's, that's another food for thought on this. I understand it was in Boulder, and this one's in Fort Worth, but I'm just not as impressed with TCU as everyone. And maybe I should be. Maybe I should be, but I'm just not. Sonny Dykes is a really good coach, like I said about the quarterbacks and the line play. But, I mean, there's no way they're as good as they were last year or everything breaks their way like it did last year. It's just not going to happen. I do think that they're legitimately a top 20 team on the road. Forgetting last year, they're a top 20 team in the country right now, and it's a game on the road. And this program won one game last year. Granted, almost nobody on the team right now was on that team, but you have no idea what it's going to look like. And I heard you talk about this with Mark Johnson a little bit ago. They've had communication issues in the past. They've plagued the University of Colorado Boulder's football team. It's just been atrocious. They have such a better staff now. Their staff is full of guys that have NFL, college experience, such good experience. Both sides of the ball, Chad Kelly on defense, Sean Lewis on offense. Problem is, none of these guys have worked together for a full game. Mm. How is this going to look 
in a full game when there's actually some enemies on the other side. I think it looks completely different. It's going to be challenging. I think it's going to be a tough conversation and a tough thing to do to go in there with a completely new staff, a completely new roster, and have all your P's and Q's ready to beat a top 20 team on the road in your season opener. Okay. That's the Jake Shapiro breakdown of that. Yeah, yeah bring us down earth, man. Straight from straight from Folsom. Uh, meanwhile, when they rock those gold jerseys tomorrow, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be parading around my living room <laughs> thinking that we're gonna win that game. It's gonna be awesome. Straight out of Pearl Street. There's Jake Shapiro. I know you picked him to lose close, but DMAC, I am curious your thoughts on the, the season as a whole. I think people see three and a half and it just feels really, really I low. think it's an indictment not an indictment. It's a it's a um it's a test. To see if this is for real or it's for phony. Yeah. And there's a lot of rah-rah stuff. Hey, if we give a rah-rah award, you win. I mean, how many celebrity Hall of Fame famous dudes can you can you put in front of your kids? Yeah, every day it's a new Hall of Famer up in Boulder. It's pretty wild. And after a while, it's T.O. and Sap, and there's Russell Wilson working out with, you know, uh, Cortland Sutton and the Broncos. I mean, it's like one guy after another up Michael there. Irvin was just it up there. It didn't stop. It, to the degree that I wonder, at some point for the kids, does it get a little like, a little bit of a haze? You know, like, oh, okay, now it's this Hall of Famer. Because what else are they possibly telling the kids? I think it's the same basic message, and I think they're they're hearing it over and over and over again. But then again, they're young young guys, they're young men, they have urges, as uh, Vic Fangio would say, and they they need to focus the best they can. I think it's just difficult when you don't play games together and there's no other way to do that but playing in the season unless you can somehow keep this thing together. Jake's uh, observation about the line should not be snoozed on. You know, it's really no different when you look at the NFL and in college football, and it's actually more prominent in college football because when you look at the big SEC schools, they're the same size as NFL teams on both sides of the line. And if TCU really is dominating, and I did not know that, Jake. That's a really great observation by you. That's a little scary because if you can just control the ball and run the ball up and down and not have to do anything risky, boy, oh, boy, do you foresee you in some tricky situations turnover-wise, and that's when things can get hairy. By the way, one of their guys over 300 pounds that I mentioned, um, really great guy. His name's Gerald Christian Lichtenstein. Uh, he, he's a holdover from – How do you know he's a great guy? Because I talked to him when I went to see you media day. Look at you. And uh, I did some reporting, and uh, that story didn't make denversports.com, but I caught up and got some good background information, which I'm using now. But my point is, he's six foot 10, 315. <laughs> so it's not even like their 300 pounders are like bulky. You know, the, a guy that's six foot 10 probably should be around 300 pounds. Nicole Jokic is, you know, almost 300 pounds, and he's seven foot one, and he's in shape. So well, six ten gets you into that weird conversation about just being too big for the sport because you're just. Yeah, I assume he's a tackle. Yeah, you know, and you know sometimes you can be too tall. That yeah. can be a thing. Just in terms of your QB can't throw over you or can't see over you. Uh, no, in terms of de- defending the pass rush, you know, or it depends how athletic he is. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you guys with s- some positive stuff because I've been a little bit negative. One, their their depth chart just came out. Travis Hunter is listed number one wide receiver, number one cornerback. Yeah, <laughs> is that a surprise? No, but he's. It just goes to show you that he's actually going to commit to this the full season. It's not like he's going to come in play third down wide receiver for some select plays and passing plays. He's going to play both sides of the ball. This potentially is literally the best athlete on campus at CU Boulder since Byron Weezer White. 
Like, we are talking Wizard Wizard White. I know. I do that every time. I get it. I'm the same way. I I do it every time. But we're talking about, like, literally a top five potential Colorado athlete of all time. Mm -hmm. This guy's going to be unbelievable. Shadur Sanders is easily the best quarterback. Time out just on a second. uh, Back to Travis. You think that's full both positions? Like, so he's playing 60 minutes tomorrow, is what you're telling me? They, well, not on special teams, but. All right, 58 minutes? Yeah. You, you understand. You think it's question. every snap offense, every snap defense? I think he'll play probably 60 to 70% of the snaps on offense and 95% of the snaps on defense. Yeah. They need him more at corner than they do at receiver. They yeah. actually have a good couple group of, uh, a good grouping of receivers that's a couple guys deep. Corner. Cormani McLean, yes, number one recruit in the country, the freshman coming in. He's third on the depth chart. It's going to take him some time to actually reach that level. They're going to struggle a little bit in their secondary. So are we about to see the the best athlete in CU history? It, it sounds that way. Better get the IV ready at halftime, like, right? Like 95 and humid? Uh, it, it's dropped to 88, so a little, kick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fourth quarter is going to be hot. It's going to be hot. It's going to be hot by two. I mean, saying he's the best, the best athlete in CU history is maybe that's a stretch. I don't know. But nobody's done this. I'm talking about potential because when I talk about White, he's a guy who played three sports at CU. Mm-hmm. Obviously got to throw Dave Logan into the mix because he played multiple sports and was drafted into multiple professional sports. Obviously a great professional football player. Yep. And then you're talking about like Jenny Simpson in the track and field and then like skiers. Emma Coburn, Emma Coburn, uh, Jeremy Bloom, who, who was an All-American mm-hmm. and, and a professional skier. So we're talking about that class of CU athlete that is truly a world-class athlete. Sepp Kuss, by the way, who won the Volta Espana, who was mm-hmm. a, a cyclist at CU, another guy in that class. Travis Hunter has the potential to be one of those guys. Mm. I'm not saying he's there because he hasn't even played a single game for CU, but the fact that the Buffs have one of those guys, a person they haven't had on campus in a male D1 sport that people honestly, frankly, care about Mm -hmm. in a long time, that's what gets me going and excited. And by the way, this is coming at the same time that the basketball team has the number one recruit in the country coming into the program. Yeah, it's an exciting time in Boulder. There's no doubt about it. You brought up something, though, a couple minutes ago that I wanted to hit on. How they don't have a preseason, right? They don't have a prep. So being on Fox, big noon kickoff, whatever, is fun. It's exciting. There's going to be a ton of eyes on the Buffs tomorrow. But I will ask you this, D-Mac. Would it be better if they were playing South Dakota tomorrow? Wouldn't it be nice to have a warm-up game rather than getting thrown right into the fire? It would be if they get destroyed. That would be a little depressing. And I I know what you're saying, but these are the the big-time dice that you roll. And as Dion has said, this is what everybody signed up for. This yeah, is what but, everybody but, but wants. who are Alabama and Georgia playing this weekend? I guarantee it's a bunch of nobody. It doesn't matter. Alabama and Georgia don't have to prove themselves. They don't have anything to prove. They don't need to do it. The reason why this game is so compelling is because we don't know anything. Nothing. It wouldn't be as compelling had they played. Well, first of all, you don't have a choice. If you want to be part of this game, you can open with somebody else. There wasn't a game that you could have had last weekend. No, this is it. Well, they tried to have a game last weekend against, uh, I think it was Oregon State. It was Arizona State. Oh, it was Arizona State, which would have been the easiest game on their schedule. And we saw Arizona State last night almost lose in the middle of the night to Southern Utah, who's a D2. They tried to get that game to week zero. The Pac-12. So I think Prime's thinking like I was thinking, be good to have a warm-up game. Yes, and I think this game would have had the— They wouldn't want to have given up this game. 
I, I didn't know if they could have done this last weekend. Well, there was games last week. I mean, Notre Dame played last USC, weekend. Yeah. USC played so last weekend. So they tried weekend. to get a Week Zero game, but then the conference said they couldn't because they were. I forget exactly what they were mad about, but this came all at the same while when CU moved to the Big Twelve. So and it, and it was remember Dion said it at the national title game that they were going to get a Week Zero game. He went on ESPN and said it. It was this big thing, and then you're right. The Pac-12 intervened. By the way, Georgia's got UT Martin. Um, they're like 40-point favorites, and Alabama's got Middle Tennessee. They're a 39-point favorite. Hey, they beat Miami last year. Alabama's you, know, a you, know who T- you know who TCU has? The Buffs. Right! So, <laughs> you know, would have been better if the Buffs had a game? I guess. I mean, you know, but guess who has a game? TCU has it. It's just that TCU gets to have that game. So you got to give TCU credit. They played for the national championship last year, all right? In one of the worst uh, national title games whatever. any of us have ever won. They got there. They did everything in the rigmarole to get there, and they got there, and then it wasn't very interesting, but whatever. They did get there. This is their FCS, you know, Southern, Western, Mississippi, oh, East Coast, easy. Alabama, Central, Juco. You know, this it, is their version of it. Careful. They've got Nichols State next week. Who does? TCU. That is hysterical. Do you know? Do you know what Nickel State's mascot is? Nickel State, I believe, is in Louisiana. Yes. Because um, a guy from one of the hold on, hold on, from Last Chance U played at Nickel State. I believe it is a turtle dove. No, and I know KJ. KJ knows, right? Of Nichols, you know Nichols. I, honestly, I don't. Sorry, okay, man. so this is one of my favorite. It's the Nickel State Colonels. So that means there's one, two, three, four L's in the name. Wait, a the Colonel? Nichols State Colonel. Was a Colonel like a popcorn C- Colonel? Like the C O L O N E L. Colonel's like a it's, a, oh, right? like it's a, in the, the air, uh, like you know Army. Colonel Sanders. Yes, the Colonel. I thought you were saying Colonel like well, K-E-R-N-E-L. How about a, how about a Colonel in the Army? Is Colonel are Colonels in armies? Yeah, I feel yeah, like we're yeah, saying yeah. That, you guys are saying it like the things you pop to make popcorn. Colonel. That's how you would say like Colonel Sanders. Are those words pronounced the same way? I yes. Colonel so. yeah. is with a K. Colonel is with a C. Yeah. It's pronounced the exact same way. All right, but Jake, let me ask you this, because he's saying that TCU's playing CU as their little, you know, their nickel state or whatever. Is there an element of the Buffs playing with house money tomorrow that is, you know, sort of shock the world factor because, you know, DMAC says this is just, this is blowout city if you're TCU. They could come in a little overconfident, Buffs house money. I do think that no one believes in us thing could be a factor in this game. Yeah, I mean, that would be helpful, and I think the fact that they believe in themselves and no one really believes in themselves or, or them besides themselves is beneficial. I will say, the fact that Colorado is leading the college football slate against the team who was just in the national championship, playing in the biggest game on mainline Fox with Joel Klatt and everyone else and Gus Johnson, that in itself is a win. The Buffs could lose by 100 tomorrow and just getting onto that game after the season they just had, that is a win. Now, that I, is a again, I disagree, with you. I disagree with you. Getting blown out is going to be a very bad thing for this brand tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be salty if that happens. I'm telling you, they'll be right back next year when, when they're actually no, going to be good. No, because recruits pay attention to this stuff. And um, the, shine, the shine will I mean, you said by 100. I know you're being a little sarcastic. But if they get blown out tomorrow, the shine on Dion comes off a little bit. It does. They're in the same time slot next week against the team they're going to beat. Losing 51-10 to 10 is what they did last year. You've got to have some sense of improvement from last year. That Every game was 51-10. to 10. And it was, it was over <laughs> relatively quickly in the first quarter or first half the vast majority of times. And then they beat Cal and stormed the field. Then they beat Cal and stormed the field. <laughs> Always stormed the field. 
Uh, hey, you know what? I, I, I did not blame them at all. The kids were fine. All right, so here's the thing. Let's go through this. Last year they lost 38-13 to TCU. Yeah. 41-10, 49-7. How, how did 38-13 get away from them? You know, I, I again, I keep saying it was close through three, and I think it was. Max Duggan came into the game. Okay. You know what the score of that game at halftime was, boys? Mm-mm, no. A trivia question. It was, it was like a three-point game. A one-point game. Yeah. They were down 7-6 to six at the half. Uh, TCU outscores them 10 nothing in the third and 21-7. You know what I remember about that game? It's actually? about finishing, yeah. You know Carl Durrell stopped playing the best quarterback. And he didn't go for it. Yeah. Right. It, it, like, have a, have right. a, have a backbone, right. dude. You're down 10 at home, fourth and like an inch, right. and he punted it. Right. That was the story of that game. But to your point, D-Mac. When did Carl Durrell start slugging photographers from uh, from Channel, oh, channel yeah, 9? My guy, uh, it was Channel 4. Channel 4. Sorry, my guy, sorry, Brian sorry, Madden, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. That yeah. was year one. Wasn't that last year or was that two years ago? I thought that was last year when he, when he, he didn't slug him. He, he kind of pushed him a little bit for Brian. It was two years ago. It was two years yeah. ago. Okay. okay, but your point. They lost 38 13, 41 10, 49 7, 45 17, 43 20, 42 9, 49 10, 55 17, 54 7, 63 21. Jake, if there are scores like that, <laughs> this is not just a win. I forgot how bad it was. The so whole bad. sport is one loss. It's one score losses except for the buffs. It really was like a 51 10 season. Like, I, I know, but like. <laughs> that is crazy. But, but in all seriousness, this is when Jake says, oh, just because they're on the stage, they can lose by 100 and it'll be fine. I disagree. If, if you and I, if the three of us are sitting here doing this show in four months and it's the, it, the scores look like that, the, the shine is off, Coach Pride. I, I'm saying I don't think the scores are going to be like that aside from maybe tomorrow. I think tomorrow's their, their, their roughest game to open the year possible. What about USC? I think that's at home. It's going to be a lot easier. If you lose by a score or two to, to USC in, in the, the Heisman two. winner. If you lose by a score or two to the Heisman winner, right. it's going to be all right. If you go on the road and lose to Dan Lanning's Oregon, who seems seems they've got it all going, that's going to be a lot better. And, and what I'm telling you, too, is, again, this communication thing and the fact that they're all working together together for the first time. They're going to work out a lot of those kinks in week two and week three against Colorado State and Nebraska at home. So when they go to Oregon and when they face USC, it's going to look a lot better. I just think tomorrow could go so many directions, and a lot of them aren't good. Here's the truth. They can lose tomorrow, and I think it'll be relatively fine. I don't think they're going to get blown out, but okay, whatever. The volleyball school in Nebraska um, put up 11. Like I think you've got to beat them. Did they and score 11 or 10? You've said 11 a couple times. Wasn't it 13 10? I'm, I'm rolling with 11. It was like a Devin Booker closeout game. That might have been 10. I want to say it was 10 10, and they, they yeah, kicked the field goal at the buzzer. Okay. Well, I, I just know. want to make sure you're not giving the volleyball school an extra point. I might have just been talking about the volleyball score. Yeah. Okay. And then the game, the game you really actually can't lose is that one. No, 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 no. It's the Rammies. Dude, you just cannot lose the CSU. I mean, you just. That's where there would be, there would probably be a bigger issue if you lost to CSU than get blown out by TCU. Rachel V. Hill, if you're listening, oh, I'm blocking man. your number if that happens. Uh, yeah, I, well, I don't want to hear Talk about a school that has nothing to <laughs> nothing. lose. In yeah, that is the ultimate house money game for I mean, Are you kidding me? So that's the one that, like, I don't think, listen, no matter what happens against TCU, when we think about it, we don't want it to be bad. We want it to be competitive. We want them to win. You got Nebraska, and if you lose to Nebraska, which would be disappointing, you just got to come out and stomp CSU, and, you know, you kind of go from there. But, boys, you want to talk about the uh, nuclear uh, implosion, DEFCON 1. Yeah. One's the worst. You want to talk about people jumping ship? You want to talk that? Go 0-3 with a loss to CSU. Yep.
So, listen, that is a nightmare scenario. Nobody's predicting that. But that hangs in the balance. But this is what makes it so exciting. This is where college football is so much better to me than the NFL because the beginning of NFL seasons, aside from just everybody getting going and it's fun to just, you know, have fun with the games, the beginning of college football is like playoffs instantly. Mm. Like, bam, playoff time, games matter. Well, that was a big theme in the uh, the Urban Meyer propaganda documentary. <laughs> <laughs> ah, we couldn't lose one more game because then we can't play for a national title. So you're right. If that was a propaganda documentary, why did he still look so bad? Oh, he could have looked a heck of a lot worse. He could have, but you think you're that not going to bring up Aaron Hernandez? You're not going to bring up the Pouncey I Twins? get it, but do you think that was a flattering portrayal of Urban Meyer and Swamp Kings? Uh, I actually thought he came off okay. They, oh, they said he left the Jaguars very, very... Uh, there. He didn't get fired. Listen, I get it. That doesn't happen if he doesn't sign off, and I think he helped co-produce it. And I think Timmy may have been involved with that as well, but that's how those things sort of get done. I get it, but I still think he looked... I think you got... Well, by the way, that was the Urban Meyer Bowl last night, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Florida, Utah. Uh, but, But like the Monte Teo one, that one was legit. And they talked to all the relevant parties involved, and they didn't sugarcoat anything. Florida, they glossed over almost... All the bad stuff. They did. They did. I still found it compelling and interesting, but, you know. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, the Monte Teo one was excellent. Teo was incredible. The Johnny Manziel one was like, I've never seen anything like that. I couldn't believe that one. Yeah, At the end of that documentary, I was wondering if Johnny Manziel was about to step into traffic. Yeah, that could have been longer, though. That could have been longer. <laughs> that didn't cover some key things. It was like an hour ten. It was like there was some crazy things they sort of just glossed over. You get what you get when you get these sports documentaries because the guys have to agree to do the interviews. Very rarely is going to be like Michael Jordan, who apparently does not care what he looks like or sounds like or doesn't get it. I mean, I don't think that was a documentary, but that's an inside journalism talk. Whatever. The thing's got to get produced one way or the yeah. other. All right, so DMAC, you've got the Buffs losing but covering. Jake, you've yes. got them losing but not covering. I have the Buffs winning tomorrow, 28-27. That is really a suck-up move right there. We will there. see how that goes. Hey, someone's got to pick it, right? Uh, okay. Uh, Get who, Matt Smith on the line. Who, right. pi- who picked Elias Diaz to be the All-Star Game oh, MVP? Oh, man. Me. <laughs> oh, wait, no, All-Star Game. I called All-Star Game in May, but you had All-Star yeah. Game MVP. That did, your, was... did your bank account reflect that? No, no, you had that. <laughs> but my byline was on him going to the All-Star Game. All right, coming up next, some fun Buffs talk, but we will... Bounce over to the Broncos. They made one little minor move today. We'll fill you in. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. A lot of good reaction on the RamosLaw.com text line. 303-713-1043. If you want to get in on the conversation, very different opinions on the Buffs tomorrow. A lot of folks, Jake, uh, trying to tell you the 300-pound thing doesn't matter. Okay. What would your retort be? Size matters in sports, like, very much so. Like Especially in football, and it's a, you, we'll reset it. 16 guys over 300 pounds for TCU, four for the Buffs. Yeah, and that's four eligible, by the way. So, And I don't, I don't know the, the exact numbers on which guy for TSU is eligible or not, but you, you get the point. It's, it's a lot more. Have we not seen with the Denver Broncos how much offensive and defensive line play matters over the last couple of years? Uh, a lot. I mean, you know, it's cliche, games won in the trenches, but 
Games are won in the trenches. Right, and and I really can't break it down. I'm no Mark Schlereth. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I can tell you that, that the size matters, the athleticism matters, and it's going to take time for Colorado to develop those things, particularly on their offensive and defensive lines. I think Shadur Sanders has the potential to be at least a top three quarterback in the Pac-12 if his offensive line could, could can withstand the pressure. I think he's really great. I think Travis Hunter is great. I think some of these other receivers, you're going to get introduced to Jimmy Horn Jr. tomorrow. Who yeah, is, we're going to learn who these guys are. Dude, these guys are fantastic. Their running back, Dylan Edwards, is going to be one of the best running backs he's had in a long time. We're talking about since, like, you know, obviously Phil Lindsay. I was thinking all the way back to when I was a kid, and then I was like, oh, Phil was there when I was in college. Yes. But you, you get the point. These guys are, like, NFL-caliber players at skill positions. The problem is, on the offensive and defensive lines, they are a little bit rough. They've got a couple guys in the defensive line who could end up in the NFL, but... Those guys need to stay healthy because what's behind them is rough. The offensive line itself is, you know, we're going to see. All right. Well, Prime's going to have to recruit those positions too, not just the skill positions as this thing builds up. I want to remind you about the King Supers fan football pick Do you think you can beat the fan hosts? Well, the weekly winner gets 250 bucks to King Supers, and the grand prize winner receives groceries for a year. You heard that right. Groceries for a year. We all know that's expensive. How nice would it be to take that off your plate? You can register now at denversports.com slash picks. And even if you don't have a great year, all it takes is one good week for 250 bucks. How many times you win now last year? Uh, well, we do a staff one, too. I never won the... I never won the the listener one. I mean, yeah. I mean, there were weeks the listeners were perfect. Oh, my God. You know? That's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 I mean, we get a lot of people to sign up for this because it's such great prizes. And, you know, I'd look and it was like, how did they how did they pick that one? Like, good for them because we're not picking spreads. We're just picking winners. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, that that'll be fun to uh, get that going again next weekend. All right. I do want to talk Broncos, though, Jake. Uh, they made a practice squad move today. Michael Bandy, a wide receiver, got cut. I think that's notable because we know they're so thin at wide receivers. So they went from four on the practice squad to three. And uh, linebacker Ben Neiman has been signed. Neiman was with the Chiefs for four years. Played for uh, Vance Joseph down with the Cardinals last year. His defensive snap counts over the last four years, according to Mike Kliss, were 36%, 47%, 50%, 43%. Kind of shocking to me this guy was just out there, Jake, because not only has he played a lot in the NFL, he's played five seasons, but snap counts around 50%. He was on the field, again, for teams like the Chiefs, who last time I checked uh, were winning Super Bowls. So, I don't love cutting the wide receiver, but I do like the the upgrade at linebacker depth where, you know, if anything happens to Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton with Jonas Griffith being done for the year, they are thin uh, at that position. Let me ask you this. Would you at all be surprised if week one there's a practice squad wide receiver call-up in the Broncos lineup? No, I, I think there has to be. They only have three healthy wide receivers, and if Jerry Judy does not play, which uh, Zach and Stoke and I talked about this yesterday, one of them thinks he's going to play, one of them says no chance in heck. Um, then you have to. It would be irresponsible to only dress three wide receivers against the Raiders. Yeah, then you're literally putting Javante Williams at slot receiver backup or something like that, or Greg Dulcich. You're doing crazy stuff. Right. Right. So point being, unless this linebacker is somebody who's really sought after and somebody that you need to get in right away, you would think you would put Bandy, keep Bandy and just burn his practice squad two times up or whatever that rule is in the first two weeks and then cut him then. Uh, the only pushback I'd give you on that is I think they actually really do like Lil Jordan Humphrey, and I think he's the guy they want to call up. And Bandy, I mean, if they're cutting him today, Jake, they they like Philip Dursett more. They like David Sills more. They like Lil Jordan Humphrey more. He clearly was the worst of the four on the practice squad. So I see where you're going with that. 
But if he can't even hang on to his 17-man practice squad spot, I don't think they had any intention of playing him in an actual game. Okay, so Humphrey or, or Dorsett is going to be, you know, it's going to be one or the other probably in week one and week two, and then maybe it's an audition and whoever does better, you're going to IR somebody by week three. Let's just be honest. Someone's going to have a season-ending injury. It's the NFL. Yeah. And one of these guys is going to take a 53-man spot. That's kind of what you're thinking is going to happen? I, I think that's what should happen. Okay. But based on the way this roster was constructed, I am confused. How, how do you make a 53-man roster with only three healthy wide receivers? I mean, that, that to me, and oh, by the way, and I'm not an Albert O. Truther, I'm not, but he was good at catching the football. You traded him to Philadelphia, too. You're, you're kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth here of, hey, we want Russ to succeed, and we're going to set Russ up to succeed, and this is all about fixing Russ. Yet we're not giving him many weapons. I mean, three wide receivers on a 53-man roster just blows my mind. And I understand there's four, three healthy ones. Maybe what Russ needs is less cooks in the kitchen and less talent around him in a weird way. And I, and I, you're I my, hope you're saying that with an ounce of sarcasm. Because they're not going to let Russ have the chance to cook. Mm. It's going to be running. It doesn't really matter how many receivers he has is maybe the thought process. We're going to take it back to 1984, and we're going to run the football. And well, then I think Greg Penner's wondering why the heck he signed off on that contract. I do, we're, too. We're, we're not going to feature the guy we're paying a quarter billion dollars to? If I'm the owner, I'm going, hey, I know I was only here a month when I had to sign off on that, but George Payton, how the heck did you make me do that? Yeah, or they're already admitting they're going to eat it, and they're going to run two tight ends, a fullback, and a running back, and they're going to have one wide receiver out there. It's going to be it's going to be the Air Force offense. Yeah, but I don't I don't think anyone's admitting they're going to eat it yet. I think they're curious to see Russ under Sean. And I think the way that it works under Sean is, hey, let's see what you can do with all the training wheels. We're not talking about the two training wheels on the back. We're going to put two we're going to put two training wheels on the front too, Will. You're not going to fall under any circumstances cuz we've got all these training wheels. And the problem is is there going to be so many training wheels where you're not even going to be able to pedal. You're not even going to be able to figure out what Russ can do, but I think it is marginal steps. We talked to Andrew Mason uh, you know, off the air the other day and he was like, "Yeah, only now are the Broncos really getting into the weeds of their offense. They're, they're still. And that was based on a conversation Mace had with Brandon Johnson. Yes. Yeah. Yep. They're still trying to get, you know, through that offense because instead of Hackett, who threw literally the entire playbook at them day one, Sean's been bringing him along slowly. So when I see what the Broncos are doing in terms of setting up for week one, I think it's going to be the meat and potatoes. We're not going to have those side pieces. We're not going to have a lot of you know, snazzy stuff that you see in modern offenses, and I think that's how they're trying to make it work. Whether I agree with it or not, it, it doesn't matter. That's what it looks like they're doing to me. Well, anyone who watched training camp could tell that because the first week was so brutal, Jake. We were talking about how we didn't have a single touchdown to discuss from a two-and-a-half-hour practice. I mean, it was unreal how bad they were in that first week, and then the second week, oh, they looked really good. And then the third week, oh, my gosh, Russell Wilson's having his best practices he's ever had in orange and blue. He looks excellent. So to your point... This install has been a process, and they did tell us at the podium that it was an install, and some of us believed them, some of us didn't, and I will call myself out on this. I was a little panicked after the first week of camp, and then I watched the second and third week and was like, oh, so they were telling us the truth. They may not always tell us the truth, but they did tell us the truth about that. The reason it looked so bad week one was because it was an install, and Brandon Johnson tells Mays, hey, we're still adding to this thing to the point where, Jake, when they're practicing next Thursday and Friday— that's going to be even another layer of this offense that these guys haven't seen to get them up to speed for week one against Las Vegas. If you legitimately expect or think the Broncos are going to win over 500 or, or be over 500 this year and, and win, you know, go, go nine and eight, 
my panic meter would be at a 10. I, I, I have such low expectations for this football team, and partially because there are so many training wheels, partially because of how they're treating Russ and telling you all these things. They're telling you exactly what they think of Russ. They are. It's going to be tough. All right. All right. All right. All right. I've got a thought on that. I'll tell you okay. next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. Hope you've got fun Labor Day weekend plans. You made it to the long weekend. I know some folks will be working, so we'll be thinking about you guys as well. But a lot of folks last weekend to go to the pool. Certainly odd enough. Uh, throw a barbecue. Hope you're with family and friends and have a great weekend. All right, so Jake is down on the Broncos. He just throws out this casual. I'll be stunned if they go nine and eight. Like, oh, okay, there. Text line loves you for that, Captain. Captain, bring down on a on a <laughs> holiday weekend over here. Um, but listen, man, I, I think there's there's a there's a part of your analysis, and I'm not I'm not going to sit here and get blue in the face and yell at you about Russ. But this defense can lead them to double digit wins, Jake, because this defense is really, really, really good. So even if they have to win game 17-10, they will because I have so much faith in this defense. And also, Jake, they lost at least four games last year they should have won. We all know that. That's yeah. what that's what the coaching will matter. Two, so those would be my two retorts to you is you're selling this defense short and you're selling the upgrade from Hackett to Peyton short if 9-8 and eight would shock you. Defense is going to be good. Defense is going to be good. It's not going to be better than last year. I think it's going to be top five good. Their defensive coordinator had one of the worst defenses in the NFL last year. Yeah, and the team he just left is about to go 2-15. and 15. The Cardinals stink. Okay. The Broncos' best pass rushers from last year are no longer on the Broncos. Uh, that's okay, I, because I saw a lot from Jonathan Cooper and uh, Nick Benito out of camp, and uh, Frank Clark's the Super Bowl champion, and Randy Gregory, when he's on the field, is a monster. Okay. Maybe that's because the Broncos' offensive line isn't very good. Uh, maybe, but we saw flashes in the preseason of it too. That these these edge rushers can be special. I also think, just by the way, and I you love you love it when I talk out of both sides of my mouth. It's like you, the thing you salivate over. Okay, but uh, I think partially one of the things that really screwed him last year that we just don't talk about enough is Justin Simmons missed a big chunk of the season last year in the middle, and that's when things really went haywire. And we saw in this preseason alone what they look like without Justin Simmons. Yeah. I mean, he was the star of camp, the star. He was picking Russ off every single day, and then he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. Justin Simmons is, you know, it was always Vaughn Miller was the glue guy. That torch has been passed. Vaughn hasn't played here in a couple years. Justin Simmons is clearly the glue guy of this defense. Yeah, so it's Simmons has to stay healthy. Sertan has to find a way to be as good as he's been while also hopefully the ball is thrown his way a little bit more so he can make some plays on some balls. He's also got to get a little revenge on Devontae Adams in week one because yeah. Devontae cooked him in OT for the game when he touched down last year and, yeah. then, and then talked a little smack after the game. So that's, you know, that's a test for PS2 right from the jump. I, I have as much faith in PS2 as everyone, but, hey, go cover arguably the best receiver in the NFL. Good luck with that assignment. No doubt. And most of the very good teams in the NFL, not the ones that go 9-8, and eight, which, according to Vegas, the Broncos are going to go, you know, right around there. Uh, their number is set at 8.5, so Vegas right. is trying to get equal money on 8 wins and 9 wins. Yes. So me saying, you know, they might win under 8 uh, is right on in line with what a lot of people are saying. But... Them winning more than 10 games requires them to have a very great tight end. Only 
only the the great teams, you know, they, they all have these tight ends that are monsters. Mm. Every single one of them, and I just don't see Troutman as that guy. Dulcich could be that guy, by the way. It's just not going to be this year, I don't think. Yeah, and you raise an interesting question. The whole Troutman thing, I understand he's Sean's guy, and I understand Sean gave up a lot of capital in New Orleans to get him and then, you know, brought him over to Denver because he liked him so much. But at what point is that unfair to Dulcich that, like, Sean, just because you have this infatuation with Troutman, you need to play the best tight end on your roster, and the best tight end on your roster is Greg Dulcich. I don't think it's completely unfair yet because let's see how, let's see Dulcich prove it because Dulcich didn't earn a de facto number one tight end slot with what he did last year. He was really good, but he didn't completely earn that job. He's still a second-year player, so I don't think he's offended by the fact that he hasn't just automatically won a job in his second year. So I think it's okay if it takes till week five, week six for Greg Dulcich to be the number one tight end slam dunk. I will say on the offense real quick, I think the Broncos' best offensive player is not going to be himself until halfway through the season, and You're that's Javante Williams. Yeah. So that's why I'm a little bit down on the Broncos. It's not a Sean Payton referendum. I've never personally been a Russ guy. I think Russ can be okay. He's not going to be the guy that's paid, you know, does as well as he's paid to do, but he can be okay. You can, you can find a way to make it work. I just don't have enough trust in the defensive line, offensive line, and the fact that their weapons aren't going to really be good enough until at least halholfway through the season. Yeah, in but, my but, mind. But, but okay, but you're still a you're still not acknowledging. I won't say ignoring. You're still not acknowledging the coaching upgrade. I mean, it's. I mean, Jake. I, I'll run through it with you real quick here on the games they lost last year because of coaching. Okay, but every single loss in the NFL is a one score game. They lost to Seattle because of coaching. The the. 64-yard field goal was absurd. I have that Peyton Manning thing burned in my head. They lost to the Colts 12-9. Yeah, Russ made bad throws, but also that was because of coaching. Okay. They lost the Monday Night Football game in L.A. in OT because of coaching. I mean, these were all one-score games, and we don't need to, you know, people are very over 2020-2022. We don't need to rehash why. But you can picture how painful all those losses were. If they had had a more competent head coach, they beat the Seahawks. They beat the Colts. They beat the Chargers. They probably beat the Jets. Okay. Oh, by the way, they lost the Ravens 10-9. While I don't disagree with you, and they beat Carolina too, I, do, I don't disagree with you that the coaching is better. That's so obvious. Leaps and bounds better. But I don't think the roster is better than last year's roster, if I hadn't spelled that out clearly enough. I think Zach Allen's an upgrade over Draymond Jones. I think it comes out in the wash a little bit. I want to see what Zach... Mm, I want to see... I'm a big Zach Allen guy, and Draymond was... You know who was a negative Nancy in that locker room was Draymond Jones. Show me what Zach Allen can do when he doesn't have J.J. Watt next to him. We'll see. I, I get it. But also, he's, you know, J.J. Watt on one leg at the end of his career. That wasn't Houston Texans' J.J. Watt. So, I, I'm just, I'm telling you, Zach Allen was an upgrade over over Draymond Jones. If Randy Gregory. And, and, and the offensive line, Mike McGlinchey and Ben Powers better be upgrades considering the money they're getting paid. <laughs> yeah. One's a good pass blocker. One's a good run blocker. I don't know if both can do both. If Gregory's on the field, that'll be an upgrade. If Gregory actually plays and Allen stays healthy and they have Clark, that's a decent defensive line. Yeah, DJ Jones was great last year. Mm -hmm. DJ Jones looked like a home run signing last year. Yeah. So why are you worried about this D-line, bro? Because everyone in the NFL gets hurt. They have had bad luck with injuries the last four years. It's not bad luck. That's just the NFL, man. I know, but they've had even more. I'm with you. Everyone gets hurt. But everyone and then some gets hurt in Denver. Yeah, they've had a little bit more severe injuries, and their study's been done on this with altitude, blah, blah, blah. All you need to know is 
They've got new leadership. I'm positive about the direction moving forward long term. In the short term, eh. All right. So in the last hour, you're, you're saying the Buffs aren't going to cover 20 and a half. And the Rockies are going to lose 100. And the Broncos aren't going to uh, go 8 and 9. Fun way to go to a holiday. Back-to-back nuggets. Uh, I think the Broncos are going to finish over 500. Abs get right. And I think the CU Buffs beat the Horn Frogs tomorrow. Let's go. 28-27. That's my prediction. Buffs men's basketball. Pacto champs. All right, you got a little in there. Good stuff. For KJ, for Jake, I'm Will. It's DST on the fan.